Welcome to Relevate Presents Scholarship. We have an exciting episode for you guys today. We're going to be joined by Dr. Tyler Jamison, who is an assistant professor at the University of New Hampshire in Human Development and Family Studies. Dr. Jamison, thanks for joining us. I'm excited to be here. All right, excellent. And then as always, we have the one and only Dr. Denzel Jones with us as well. How are you doing, Denzel? Doing well. Thank you for the, the introduction. As always, oh, of course. glad to be here. <laughs> and uh, important moment, uh, just to point out before we get into it, uh, this is actually the first time in my entire life I've been talking to two people in New Hampshire at the same time. So how about that? Uh, so let's get into I where we talk about- I would be in New Hampshire. Denzel, did you think you would ever live in New Hampshire? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I never thought <laughs> I would end up like this. Especially I would like to us, send- with like both of us being here, there's probably like, only a population of like six people in New Hampshire. So Eric, you are, uh, you're sitting at unicorn status right now. <laughs> I feel like I need to send a formal apology for Denzel's comments about New Hampshire. I'm sorry to all New Hampshireites who I might have been New offended. Hampshire. No, no, it's not a bit. I would be here, but I like it now that I yeah, 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 for sure. I, just, I think we all kind of experienced that at some point in our lives. Yeah. I didn't imagine being in too many places outside of North Carolina, to be honest. So. Fair enough. Yeah. All right, so today we're talking about The Office, the mockumentary comedy, sitcom comedy uh, from, I guess, the, did it start in the early 2000s? I don't even remember when it started. I should know Let's this see. because I chose it, but I don't know. started in 2005, so mid-2000s, all the way until 2013. Um, so before we get into The Office, we always kind of like give a chance for our guests to tell a little bit about themselves. So Dr. Jameson, if you'd like to talk a little bit about your research interests and um, kind of what you're passionate about and your research. Sure thing. So um, I study young adults, romantic relationship development and dissolution. So I'm, I'm really interested in how people develop romantically. So not so much how a couple comes together, but how an individual moves through their whole romantic life and how they gain the capacity to build strong relationships if that's what they want, um, or just to arrive at the kind of relational life that they want, um, whatever that is. So that kind of makes me duly interested in development and also the context of relationships. So I really try to, I really do it all of human development and family studies, I think. and. Um, I've actually been really interested in this since I was an undergrad. I got really interested in how people pick their partners, not so much about attraction, just how do you arrive at the choice of a long-term partner? And I've been sort of doing some version of that for a long time now, all the way through grad school and now as an assistant professor. So um, I'm, I'm interested academically in how people make choices, and I'm also interested in helping um, people learn what we know about how to make smart choices in their relationships, not just so who you choose and then what you do once you get in there. And so that's part of why I'm interested in doing some engaged scholarship around that. Excellent. Yeah, I think it's really interesting just in terms of like, I think I've always been interested in kind of something similar in terms of like, uh, the why do we pick who we pick? And like, that's one of my, so when I've done couples therapy in the past, it's one of my favorite questions to ask is like, what was the point that you knew that this is someone you wanted to be with long-term and like, what was the things that informed that? And it's very telling. Um, sometimes it gets one member of the couple in trouble with the other by their answer, but it's a very telling answer. Do sometimes couples not have an answer and that's part of what is not working? It's hard for them to pinpoint when they thought they should get yeah. together marry the person or commit. And it is a tough question, like when you're not expecting it, right? Like if you were just kind of asked that out of yeah. nowhere and you hadn't like thought about it before, it can be a tough question to answer. But there are times where I'll ask that question and someone will have a very like kind of a long answer, like this is how I know and the other person won't have an answer or the answer might not, you know, um, say a whole lot about their thought process. And in general, it could just be like, oh, I could tell the person was really into me or it's just kind of like, oh, I guess we've been together for so long. So it kind of like made sense that this was the next step. That's the one I get a little bit. It just kind of made sense. This is the next step. It wasn't like a. Yeah, that's not a very warm and fuzzy answer. No, and that definitely can get someone in trouble with their partner if that is their answer. Yeah. Um, so if you're listening at home, make sure you have an answer to that question. If you do have a romantic partner, just uh, have that ready. 
you never know. <laughs> or don't ask it. Yeah. Or don't. Or if you don't have an answer, don't go to therapy. Your therapist might ask it. <laughs> at least not to Eric. <laughs> yeah, at least not to me, for sure. Yeah. All right. So um, I guess it's office time. So tell me a little bit about your relationship with The Office. When did you start watching it? Um, is it where does it kind of rank in terms of like your shows or you know whatever kind of comes to mind? I have watched The Office several times. Uh, I I've been watching The Office long enough that I have a couple of the seasons on DVD. Like I think seasons two, three, and four maybe. Um, so that dates you. I mean, you don't buy series on DVD so much anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm not sure exactly when I started watching it, but I love it and have watched it as recently as the last year. Um, and I think I came to love it more because I fell in love with someone in my office and married. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so I am especially affectionate about Jim and Pam. Like I'm definitely in the camp of loving <laughs> Jim and Pam. I think Absolutely. without them, I wouldn't have watched the show again and again. Um, in fact, sometimes when I go to rewatch it, I start in season four when they get together because I can't bear the back and forth of the first three seasons where we're not yeah. sure if they get together. I just want them together. The world seems better once they're together. So I don't know when I started watching, but I've watched a bunch of times and I am a sucker for, I, I think it's funny, but I like the relationship part actually maybe more. So it made a lot of sense for me to talk about that today. Cause it connects once I really thought about it, it connects with a lot of the things that I study or know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that it's a testament to the show that it stayed interesting with Jim and Pam, even though they stayed together and there was no like there was no Ross and Rachel back and forth. There was no just kind of like Rocky, will they, won't they, that was drawn out over, you know, the entire show. It's like once they got together, they were together. And it was still interesting and still made you want to watch. And I think that was, um, hopefully other shows can pick up on that somehow. Because sometimes I get really tired I, of the back and forth. I totally agree. And just in the past few weeks, I've been tipped off that Angela and Pam now have a podcast that they're doing. No way. And it's they're there. They, it's called the office ladies and they're talking about every episode. So they're going to do presumably 200 of these. And, um, I've listened to a few of them. I'm not sure if I can get on board with acknowledging that they aren't their characters because they're (laughs) in the podcast. They are themselves as actresses. And I'm, I'm not sure I kind of need them to be Pam and Angela. So if they're not, I don't know what to do, but fun fact, when the, after they made the pilot, they met with Ricky Gervais, who was mm-hmm. played the boss character in the UK version of The Office. And he said, you know, in the UK, we don't do tons and tons of episodes of shows. It's kind of a running joke, really, that yeah. they might do six episodes of a show and that's it. And he said, if you're going to if this takes off in the United States, you're going to do a lot of them. And so the, the show needs to have a bit of a heart. Like you have to have something that's going to pull your viewers along with you. Because just episode after episode of Wacky Boss isn't really sustainable. And so Jim and Pam were sort of supposed to be that thread that carried through all of the many episodes to make you feel sort of connected in some other way to the show. Thank God. It worked on me. (laughs) Yeah, it was the thing that kept me going. So I actually have been very, throughout my life, I've been, throughout since 2005, I've been kind of opposed to watching The Office. I've had lots of friends who are interested in watching it and I have some friends in particular I could think uh, in, in undergrad who were like, no, you got to watch it. Just watch this one episode with me. And I had like three or four one episodes. And the only one I kind of liked of those episodes was the basketball episode, just because, I don't know, it was kind of fun to watch them play in a basketball game. But I just hated Michael Scott so much. And I still maintain that hatred to this day. But I, Jim and Pam kind of like definitely helped me get through it. And I learned to appreciate the show more over time. So I'm glad I actually like stuck through it and watched it because at first I was just like, man, Michael is the worst. I can't handle this. You really, this is a real commitment that you watched all these episodes. Yeah. And I wasn't sure how far I was going to get on it. And then I got into it. So I ended up watching it, but I was, there are definitely points where I was like, I don't know how much I'm going to watch. So, Cause sometimes I don't watch all of the things that I talk about. Um, I don't know if I should be mentioning that on the podcast that I'm talking about, but I mo- watch most. Um, Some of so these yeah, shows have a lot of episodes. Oh, I have do. to know, what do you hate about Michael Scott? 
Oh, everything about him. Uh, literally every time he opens his mouth and talks, I just, my cringe, just everything he says is cringeworthy. It just, um, the way he treats Pam, the way he treats everyone in his office, sometimes he says things that are racist, sometimes he harasses his workers, and he just, I have a very, um, uh, I am very reactive in my own like personal life when people who are in power take advantage of that power, even in like kind of fun ways. Like, you know how you have that person who's your boss or like someone who has like power over you and they make that joke that you know it's a joke, but you have to believe it because they're your boss. You know what I mean? Or they have power yeah. over you. So like if you were to like not believe it or if you were like, haha, that's funny. And they were like truly serious about it, you'd be in trouble. And then they think it's so funny when they trick you into thinking I, I'm doing a bad job of explaining this, but then they like, trick you into it. It's like that really bothers me to like a, a very large extent. So like for someone kind of like abusing their power in a way that kind of like everyone goes along with what he does because they have to. And he thinks it's for other reasons. And he's just just I think he's just a terrible person, to be honest. He's I, I, I just do not like him. So I like how we're just getting to that right at the outset. Yeah, just, just put it out there. You think Michael Scott's a terrible person. Yeah, I just can't. And I, I don't find him all that funny either. Like, I find most of the humor comes from other things that happen. I don't find him as funny as some of the other things that happen, even though I kind of, I don't know. Anyway, but yeah. That's, I don't I, totally disagree with you. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of like something that's important for people to know who are listening. So when I'm talking about Michael in their context, there's some bias there. <laughs> and then Denzel, you have not seen the show, correct? Of course not. <laughs> Do you have any impressions? Have you like heard about it? Or I don't like Michael Scott. There you go. <laughs> that's about as there far as I got. Damn. I think I do. Yep. You learn to like them over the course of this podcast for sure. Okay. <laughs> All right. So with that, let's get into some of the. Um, you know what? Let's just talk about Jim and Pam while we're here. I mean, if that's kind of like the. Um, stuff that kind of uh, drove it for you and was one of the most enjoyable parts about watching it for me. Let's talk about them. So we first meet them. Uh, there's definitely some flirting going on. When I was made to watch a few episodes back in the day, I just assumed they were together, even though they were not. So they were flirty in the office, but Pam was engaged to Roy um, and Jim was just someone in the office. So if you have any thoughts, just kind of like take us back to where Jim and Pam were in terms of kind of the, uh, maybe it's easier to start with Pam and Roy, but in terms of like that getting together process and what that looked like, how they went from where they were when we first met them to starting to date and getting together and all that stuff. I feel like part of what's so interesting or endearing is the right word. Part of what's so endearing about Jim and Pam is that they started as friends. Mm -hmm. That chemistry that you perceive isn't just attraction. It's sharing a common sense of humor and making each other laugh. You know, I um, think people often say they want someone who's funny. And I'm, I'm not sure that most of us actually need someone in our life who's funny. We want someone who makes us laugh. Sometimes those aren't the same thing. That's very true. But I think the fact that they made each other laugh and entertained each other in a kind of boring bizarre workplace is what initially draws you into their relationship. Um, it's less about other types of attraction, like physical attraction that sort of starts to unfold later, but it's not part of the base. And I kind of liked that about them. But I think one of the things that is most captivating, and you actually already said this it was super interesting that we both made this same observation that Jim and Pam's relationship, once they get together, is never in question again. It's never, the relationship itself is never on the table. And that doesn't mean they don't struggle because they do, but they have normative struggles, right? They struggle because they become the parents of young children and because they have to endure some distance from each other and those kind of things. Yeah. But we're never questioning whether they're not going to make it. And I think that makes their relationship easier to watch and more interesting to analyze. So I think that's what draws me to them. So what do you think kind of are the things that, so you talked about the friendship. What do you think are the things if thinking about that question of like, why do people choose this person long-term? What do you think are the things that kind of 
made them come together and stay together once they started to get together. Because, you know, it could be that, you know, there are other couples that might have lots of buildup, even in TV in real life, where there's lots of buildup and they get together and it doesn't always work out. So what do you think it was that kind of like, if they were to answer that question about like what kept you guys together, or what was the thing that made you know this was me long term? Ooh, that is, that is not an easy question. Um, <laughs> Did you just ask for the therapy question? <laughs> Yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I have to answer it for other people, fictitious yeah, people. Even yeah. yeah. This is like right. a solution focus oriented way of going about it. I okay, so I do think, and this is not gonna sound especially brilliant, I do think the fact that they were friends was at the core of why they were able to stay together. And I think they stayed friends, genuinely. Um throughout the relationship. The the relationship changed, right, as they went through different transitions. But sort of the base, that that rapport that they had with each other was sort of just there. And the other thing I think that they did really well is something that John Gottman calls turning towards your partner. So when things got weird or um, difficult between them, they tended to sort of come back toward each other. They didn't go outward. They didn't go inward. They went toward each other. And I think they demonstrate that in this couple better than I think I've ever seen that done because it's really subtle. It's not something that's, they're not constantly having these dramatic talks, but it's side glances and small gestures of connection that they manage to sort of maintain consistently and quietly. And as someone who both is in a long-term relationship and studies them, that's the stuff. It's really not these big dramatic moments that make a relationship function. It's the really small, minute details of how you interact, how you talk to each other. I think Jim and Pam are fundamentally respectful of each other and fundamentally um, interested in keeping their friendship intact. And you see them act that out. Yeah, for sure. And that rapport that they have, I think, is like how they're able to like turn towards, right? Because that friendship and that kind of like the silliness, like you said, the glances, those small things are signals of like, you know, even if things aren't going great or if we're in a place, there's signals of like, I'm still with you and we still have this thing that we can always go back to even when things are on the outside or hard. We always have this rapport. We always have this like humor. We always have this like fun together. And that they don't let the resentment get in the way of like coming back to that if they if they need to. Right. And I think what could have happened with them that the writers didn't do is that never became snarky. They have a Mm -hmm. lot of humor exchange between them, but it's not especially sarcastic or biting. Um, It's really pretty soft. And I think that's helpful because in times of stress, if you're if you're using more sarcastic humor. Sometimes that gets a, it crosses over a little bit into not yeah. feeling as friendly and productive. And so some couples share that kind of humor, but you have to be a little more careful with it when you're stressed out. Their sure. version of humor with each other was pretty low risk in the relational sense. Um, it yeah, was definitely. chummy and silly, and that was a good thing. And I think another thing that you could see with that, with that silly, especially with Jim, because he can kind of like, be kind of silly and serious moments that could you've seen that in other shows where that can make the other person upset but i think there's a certain degree of like understanding right like or maybe i'm just blabbing now but like a certain degree of understanding in terms of like that's not jim being mean or like changing the subject or not being serious it's just like part of our rapport and it's part of like who he is and i appreciate that yeah it's a diffusing strategy exactly well, yeah can i make you laugh while this is not going well. Yeah. Exactly. Definitely. So there's So can I talk about my favorite episode with Jim and Pam? I feel like we're gonna yeah, move on to Jim and Pam at some point because yeah. we should we can't talk about them for an hour. Yeah. Um but there is an episode, it's called Paper Airplane. I, I think I mentioned this one to you to say. You did. Attention. I paid special attention to this episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the last season. And the situation they're in at this point, they have two kids and Jim is working kind of two jobs. He's working part time at Dunder Mifflin. And then he drives to Philly and does this other job that he's really more passionate about. And Jim and Pam are really struggling through that. It's it's mm-hmm. just it's clearly a lot of work to sort of 
keep that friendship going and all of that. You see them really working. And in that episode, they have a bit of a negative, they have a hard day. They've been in therapy. They're trying to do this thing where they talk to each other about their truth and it feels awkward and difficult. And then he gets called and he has to leave. And there, there's like a coldness, you know, he's leaving. She doesn't really give him a warm goodbye. He leaves, but you can tell she doesn't feel good about it. And then she sees his umbrella and it's a chance to go and try one more time. And I think this is one of those really well-crafted things that they did that she takes the umbrella and walks out. And um, she uses it as a chance to kind of go toward him. It's another sort of that turn toward kind of moment. Mm -hmm. They're not, they're at odds. Things are not going especially well between them, but she turns toward by going out and they end up sort of breaking that tension that's between them. And it, I think is one of the best examples of relationship work that I've seen on TV because it's not a grand thing. Again, it's pretty small, but Mm -hmm. that I think is what I, is the, the work of most relationships is in a moment when you do not at all feel like running after your partner to hug them or saying something nice that you make the smallest gesture you can manage to go a little bit more toward them. Um, so anyway, I think they did a really good job with Jim and Pam as a, and it was like, it was like next level part of what the therapist was asking them to do. Right. In terms of like showing appreciation and things like that. They did it, but it was not with that kind of like awkward sounding, like, I appreciate you for doing this. It was like very much like a really showing appreciation with the hug and that the lasted for a while. And like just the two of them kind of like, I don't know, connecting in that moment after kind of like trying, like continually trying and then kind of like finding it with that moment that kind of comes up. Yeah, I've been trying for... I feel like a long time to figure out how to explain, especially to students, what it means when people say relationships take work, because I don't think you should be constantly working super hard just to stay together, especially if you're dating. So the work is pretty subtle. The work is still being nice when you're comfortable enough that you could be rough. It The work is Turning, taking the chance to take the umbrella outside. That's the work. And so this, I think, if I ever get to teach a class again where I'm teaching this content, I'm going to show it because it's like that. That's the work. People who have been together for a long time are doing all the time or not doing, right? That makes things, that makes, I think, the difference in whether people can stay together and whether they stay happy, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's a wonderful example because I think you're right because we have a lot of these kind of cliches about relationships and love that when taken to a certain point can be more harmful than helpful, right? It's like love takes work. You know, it's meant to kind of like, you know, get people to kind of like not feel like it has to be easy, right? Because like there's some narrative out there that it should be easy when you're together all the time. And that's not always the case. So you're trying to like push people out from that. But if you go too far into that, there are people could be like, love is supposed to be work. And I'm putting all this work in to like keep us together because that's what I'm supposed to do because love is work. But really, you know, it's just kind of like, like you're saying, these kind of like small gestures and these small kind of like things to show that you care and to show that like even when things are rough or even when I'm not in a good mood or whatever the case is and I'm still willing to like, do things for my partner, do things for the relationship. I think that's a great segue into talking about a couple relationships in the show that they were together, but they, they were working at the wrong things. They were working really hard. So many of those that were especially healthy or productive for them. Like, Oh, bless them. Kelly and Ryan. I just, Oh boy. Yeah, I know. I don't. So Kelly and Ryan have this, on and off relationship that's all about the passion piece. And I think she really believes that they're meant to be together or that's something she likes the idea of. And so she's decided he's the one she's going to like latch that onto, but they're totally incompatible. 
he doesn't even ever seem especially committed or interested to, in her unless she is unavailable for some reason. So, I mean, that relationship is, I think, in the show, just comic relief. It's never supposed to be taken especially seriously. But I think sometimes, to a less dramatic degree, relationships play out like this. You for think sure. You might, be, you might be supposed to be with this person, so you just keep trying at it, even when there's no other indication that it's a good idea. What was your take on there? Oh, really? Um, I just... I felt bad for Kelly a lot because it seemed like he just did not care at all and was very dismissive and very like putting her down. And like, once he got the promotion, it was like, see you never because he was kind of always aspiring to something better and just kind of like kept her around while he was where he was. And then when he didn't have, or when he didn't have anything, he would go after it. So I felt bad for her. And obviously like she plays a role in it too, in terms of kind of like the idealization of the relationship and, I'm kind of being blind to some of these things for, I I don't know, but that is just kind of, it was what made me wonder all the time. I was like, why, why are, what's keeping them together? And I guess that would be like a good question as, as a host. Um, I'll ask that question right back to you. What do you think kept them together? Or what do you think in just in general, couples like this, what keeps them together over time? when they don't seem right for each other, they don't seem all that happy in the relationship, but they kind of keep rolling with it. I think there's potentially two things that could come together or they could operate separately. Mm-hmm. And one is if you believe in sort of, there is one person out there for me. And when I find them, that's going to be it. And that belief can be generated from lots of different things for individuals. Then even if you think you found that person, you're going to, do all kinds of things to try to make it work because this is my person, right? There's not another one. This is the one person. And I think Kelly definitely has that soulmate kind of idea rolling. And so part of it might simply be that we're meant to be together. So whatever obstacles are in our way, just we have to overcome them, right? Um, And the other thing I think that happens with Kelly is she finds the game of it exciting. It's exciting to break up and get back together and be in strife makes you feel more attracted to the person, more urgency around that person. And so the instability, I think, was part of what she liked about it as a general thing. Um, Ryan is kind of neutral on the whole thing, so it's kind of hard to know where he was on it. I think he really liked being wanted. So he was happy to take that attention from her. He loved being the object of her, you're my soulmate thing when he liked it. It was a status thing for him. And that's like one of the things that was super important to him just in every aspect of his life. So to be wanted by someone to that degree was playing into that for sure. And I think that explains why when she was dating someone else or was otherwise unavailable, suddenly he was super interested in in her. This is a spoiler, but at the end, we know she runs off the front this was so upsetting to me because it felt like awful. she had a good relationship. <laughs> she had found like a good situation, it felt like. And then I don't know why the writers had to do that. And then they left the baby behind. I, like that was weird. That was weird. I don't know why that was needed. Yeah. But I, I will say I am super biased about this as a viewer of television. If there is, if the show sets up a choice between the solid, practical, loving relationship and the fiery, high attraction, high risk relationship. I am always annoyed when they have the person end up with the really volatile, but lots of attraction relationship. It drives me nuts. Sex in the city. I can't even. All all (laughs) those ones that are set up that way, I don't like it. Yeah, same. I remember- I was um, always going to be rooting for the pediatrician in this situation. Have you ever seen Reality Bites, the Winona Ryder and- is that no? Yeah, I think it's Winona Ryder and Ben Stiller movie. It's like one I of the. I know it, but I don't know if I've ever. I don't think I've ever seen it's it. It's one of those. It's one of those where it's like the whole movie is played out between Ben Stiller, who and this is the straight guy, and then Ethan Hawke, who's like the cool guy, and just like the entire time I was just angry watching it. I think I also watched it after a breakup, and it was just like making me so angry to watch it. <laughs> um, but that's the one that always sticks in my head when I think about that dynamic, and they definitely played it out between Ryan and Kelly. 
Yeah. I think what's interesting too between Ryan and Kelly is like there are such a difference in terms of like how they viewed like the alternatives in their relationship. So like what you're saying about Kelly is like there wasn't an alternative. Like he was the one. So like she her and her she was just like really into it. Whereas Ryan was just always looking for the next thing. Right. And it definitely played out a lot in their dynamics. Absolutely. I think another good example of sort of that back and forth that happens throughout the series is Michael and Jan. Oh, dear. yeah. Um, <laughs> where, where to start? Where to start? I, I was actually trying to brush up on my Michael and Jan today. Mm-hmm. So that I would be able to talk about this a little more specifically. And their relationship is so, so rough. Um, so when we say Michael, are we talking about Michael Scott that, that we don't like? Or is this another Michael? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And Michael Jan Scott was boss like. at corporate. And they slept together on a trip to Jamaica. And then sort of a relationship sort of bubbled out of that over the next couple of months. And they were off and on for a couple of years in the show. And she, they're a good example of, um, I think they're a good example of inertia, which is this idea that sometimes couples gain things. They, they move through transitions in their relationship that make it harder to break up. And so by default, they end up kind of moving forward. Right. So, um, so would this be like the whole idea of like a child could save our marriage kind of those types of things? Yes. Or moving in together. Mm. Right. That's the one that Scott Stanley and his colleagues talked about the inertia hypothesis and their sort of central idea was when people move in together, they're then more likely to move forward to marriage than to break up because it's a lot harder to break up out of a cohabiting relationship than it is if you live separately. And they sort of extrapolated that to any transition. Right. So anything you're doing that makes it harder to break up is going to give you a little forward push. and you know, they sort of stumble into this relationship. She's post-divorce and he's available. And at first it's kind of sexy that he's her subordinate, (laughs) but then it's not anymore, but they stay together anyway. Um, And then she loses her job and moves in with him. And that is sort of that inertia piece. Then they're living together and the relationship has to catch up to the fact that they're sharing a residence and she doesn't have another place to be and she's not employed except for her candle making business. Um, yes. And so even though neither of them, he picks she, up a second job too. to. Uh, oh, that's well. right. Yeah, at the call certain, center. Yeah. At the call center. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Jan, Jan does not seem to like or respect anything about Michael Scott. So you and Jan maybe could at any like, point get on the same page about that. At yeah. no point. You seem to have genuine affection for him. Really, it was puzzling. It was very puzzling. Their relationship was very puzzling, just in general, because she does not like a thing about him. No, and I don't no. think he likes a thing about her outside of her looks, which is pretty consistent with Michael in most of his relationships. Yeah, I think he finds her really attractive, and he. I don't. I also think he's desperate to be accepted. And so the fact that she yeah. shows interest in him is enough. He's done. Then He's hooked. He's in. Right. Yeah. If you want to be around me, I'll take it. Even if you're not especially nice to me. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, they, they do a lot of bumping around, hurting each other before they finally split off for good. But she kind of stays in the back of his mind as, this reminder, I'm, I would go back to Jan if she came back to me. There's this episode where he's looking for another person he wants to be with. And he says, I can't, I can't see Jan. I'll go back to her. I'm not strong enough. I don't, I don't want to do that, but I will. And I think, um, so she kind of has this draw, even though the relationship isn't very healthy or positive for anyone. And it really kind of all comes together. And I, I feel like this is one that uh, an episode that has to get mentioned when we bring up Michael and Jan as the dinner party. It all kind of comes together at this like point and you see just the resentment and the, the, they do an incredible job. Like even before they start yelling at each other, you can just like feel the resentment in every single interaction. And it is 
they do a good job of making that the most awkward seeming dinner in the history of dinner parties. It is. I I'm cringing just honestly talking about it. So I don't know if there's any, is there anything that kind of sticks out to you from that particular episode or that particular kind of like feeling you get thinking about that kind of like, cause I think that's where it ends. This is going to seem odd, but they take a tour of the condo mm-hmm. and they go to the bedroom and there is, like a like a bench, like an upholstered bench at the foot of the bed. And Michael says, and this is where I sleep. Jan has some space issues. So there's this big, like, queen-size bed, and there's this little tiny bench. And Jim observes, like, well, that's pretty narrow and short. And he goes, oh, no, that's great. And he, like, curls up in the fetal position on this thing. And Jan says, see, he fits great. And I think this kind of... This is their relationship in a nutshell. She is being accommodated in whatever way she needs to just because he, I don't know, um, doesn't have enough capital in the relationship to even require a spot in the bed, right? So I think. And and, throughout it too, they, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. It didn't end because of the bench. You know, it's not like he stood up for himself like, I deserve a relationship where I get to sleep in the bed and not on a bench. But I think um, eventually she just couldn't couldn't deal, and that's really why it ended. I don't know. And they get into an argument during that um, dinner party about how both of them think that the other person always gets what they want. And that is really telling for their relationship, too. Jan feels like she's giving up so much to be with Michael and Michael feels like he's giving up so much to be with Jan and it's not in a like a positive sacrifice kind of way. It's in a, I never get what I want kind of way. And they both feel like that in the relationship. And that's just not, there's not much to build on there. It makes me think about, you know, how John Gottman talks a lot about picking a partner whose vices you don't care too much about, right? You want them to have things that aren't good about them that you can tolerate fairly well because everybody has things that are super obnoxious about them. So uh, except for me, but yeah. with obnoxious traits, you don't care about that much. That is really good advice, right? Looking for a person who's not especially flawed is a flawed plan. You're going to have a, a human being in your life who's pretty flawed, but make them flawed in ways you don't, it just doesn't feel that bad. I talk to my husband about this on a regular basis and I say to him, if I was in a relationship with me, this would drive me nuts. It, I, I couldn't be in a relationship with someone who is like this. And he says, I honestly don't even notice most of the time. And when I do, I don't care. I think that's why we might stay together. Like, because yeah, he yeah. just doesn't care that much. So what you're saying is they have the opposite issue. Everything they're giving up feels really taxing because it's things they really care about. Like yeah, he has yeah. to put away his, um, the beer sign, the neon beer sign. She made him get, she made him put it yeah. in the garage or something. And he's really sad about it. And so that becomes another part of their conflict. So. And what's hard too is like, you don't see her a ton at the beginning, but she seems pretty sane for the most part at the beginning. And then when she starts to like Michael, it's like, it, I don't know if it, drove her into madness or they just weren't showing her more um, uh, maddening traits, but it certainly changed her quite a bit in terms of how she was portrayed. Yes. Yeah. She, she got a little more extreme as the show went on. Yeah. You realize they were both in that game as being slightly like I eccentric people. It wasn't just yes. Michael. Yeah. So this is two different relationships we talked about in terms of like Kelly and Ryan and then um, Michael and Jan that were really on and off. Uh, And I know you've done a little bit of research on kind of some relationship cycling stuff. And I don't know if um, what are the things that you saw that were kind of like indicative of the research? Are you like, oh, that really matches what I've seen before? What were the things that you thought maybe didn't play out or whatever? It just kind of comes to mind. Yeah. So. I have done some research on people who got sort of stuck in relationships with the same person for a really long time. And sometimes those also involved cycling, right? Breaking up and getting back together with the same person. Um, And I think 
I'm not sure if I would consider, I think Michael and Jan were a bit stuck. I think they probably should have broken up earlier than they did. And I think if I had interviewed them and said after they broke up, they might've come to that conclusion themselves also that sometimes being committed to a person isn't the, the best outcome. You know, in relationship science, sometimes we think of committed or stable relationships as something you want to be moving toward. And so kind of by default considered a good thing. Yeah. It's like a positive outcome in a study. I'm sorry. It could be like a positive outcome that people are looking for in a study. Yeah, exactly. Like the ideal. Yeah. But I found some evidence that sometimes committed relationships that drag on when there's not, not a great foundation there actually aren't such a good thing. At least the people that were in them say, I stayed in that a bit too long. So I think, Michael and Jan are, are maybe in that stuck category that they stayed together for a while, I think because she lost her job and because they had both taken a risk to disclose their relationship to their employer that now we're in it. So let's keep doing it. But it, it she never really wanted to be in a serious relationship with him and she, yeah. and she wasn't nice to him. So it wasn't very good for him either. So I think they're kind of stuck. The other couple in here that is a good example of getting a bit stuck is Pam and Roy. Yeah. So they had been in a relationship, I think for 10 years before they got engaged. And Mm -hmm. um, they probably had some pretty significant inertia going forward. Just the expectation that they would stay together because they'd been together since they were really young. And then once they got engaged, right, that created another layer of forward sort of momentum for them. But they were never especially compatible it didn't seem yeah you never really see and i don't know um obviously this is the intention of the show but you didn't get any sense of like what they were together for like what they liked about each other or no anything and i don't know that that was clear to them either so um that's why when they were presented with alternatives they were they were attending to them you know they broke up ultimately because Pam kissed Jim. Well, he kissed her, but I think she liked it. So then she thought maybe I shouldn't get married. And uh, I think that was really an indication, not that she was a bad person, but that the relationship wasn't quite what she needed it to be. Yeah. So I think that's where most of my relation, my, some of my research is falling is breaking up can be a really good and helpful thing. Um, and the more final a breakup can be, maybe the better because relationship cycling tends to eventually end in the end anyway. Mm -hmm. And it just drags it and drags it and drags it out because the thrill of reunion keeps you going for a little while until the reality of the relationship sets back in and then you break up again. So it becomes more about those like big gesture, big moments than it does about like the what you're talking about earlier and the doing the work being like the small things and the turning towards and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, do I think that a couple could break up and reevaluate and get back together and be a strong couple? Sure. Do I think Kelly and Ryan were ever going to be a good couple? I'm going to go with no. So what you're saying is when they ran off at the wedding, it's not for a happily ever after. I don't think so. <laughs> wow. I think you're breaking I sound people's like hearts right now. In some ways, but I actually still really believe in relationships. I love weddings against my better judgment. I love going to weddings. I just think sometimes breaking up is the the right choice for for couples and giving giving people permission and skills to to do that is is a really important part of promoting healthy relationships. Yeah, and I think by saying that you think breakups are a good decision, that is kind of like because you care about these things and you still have that, you know, romantic part of you. And I think I feel the same way because, you know, I think both Pam and Michael would have said, like, breaking up was the right decision. And they look at the situation they're in now and they feel pretty good about it. Right. Right. So it leads to breaking up doesn't just lead to like the initial heartbreak or whatever. It also could lead to new and better things down the road. That's not this volatile. And it should have been this for Kelly, which is why it's so upsetting to me that it ended the way it did. Cause it, 
it looked like Kelly had gotten had gotten to that point, right? She had finally broken things off with Ryan and was feeling pretty good about it and was with I can't remember his name now. Robbie, maybe? Yeah, I can't remember. I have you know what I have a tab pulled up with the top couples of from the office, according to I don't even know what the uh uh screen rant. Yes, Ravi. Ravi, yep. Yeah, and he was great. And he um, took them to Miami, which she was really excited about until she found out it was Miami and Ohio, Miami University in Ohio, <laughs> which was very funny. But that's uh, where I did really my own like friend. I didn't remember really? that. Yeah, yeah totally. that was that was the the big joke was that Kelly thought she was going to University of Miami when she was going to Miami University. Yes. Whenever I told people at where I went to school, they'd be like, oh, the weather must be great. And I was like, it's Southwest Ohio. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Depends on what you think great weather is. But yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know what great weather isn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah right, right. It kind of hurts to be outside yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. We have not yet talked about Angela and Dwight. I yeah. Why don't I feel like you start? They categorization in relationships. They do. I don't. I mean, there's like a long pause because I don't know what to say about Angela and Dwight. I really liked I, them at the beginning. At the I beginning. sort of have affection for the fact that they are so odd and yet so compatible with each other. Yeah. I get annoyed that they can't just get it together, see how compatible they are, and have a good, stable relationship. Because I think they probably are a pretty good match. They would have been, like, the couple had he not killed her cat. Which is a deal breaker. I'm pretty sure. Like, I don't think you can come back from that. And eventually they did, I guess. But, like, that's probably a lot of hurt there. And I don't know. I don't know. That made me kind of mad at the writers because I was just like, this was a good thing going. And like, why is killing it? Why, why is killing a cat funny? Why is that the, the punchline to this? And then like, why is that kind of like putting them onto this weird path where Dwight becomes apparently like a ladies man and has like all these like hookups and great relationships where he is not that person throughout the entire show. But anyway, no, I was and- I was very upset with their whole storyline. Yeah, it wasn't super satisfying. I wish they hadn't done so much cycling. Maybe if there had been a long gap, they broke up because of sprinkles, and then there's this long gap, and then they come back together, I could have gotten on board. But why the random hookups and all, like, they had so much back and forth. Yeah. That And Angela being engaged to Andy. What? Which made zero sense. Zero sense. Zero sense. That I I I couldn't even I don't know what to say about that. I just I was so over them the second it was started. Painful to watch that. It was whole time that they were together. Really painful yeah. to watch Angela and Andy. She was so mean to him. She was, and I don't understand Andy at all in that. I actually thought Andy was like for the most part, like once he was like after he punched the wall and got his anger management or whatever, he was like a genuinely nice person and character for the most part. I think the one thing I will say about them is um, I am I've kind of piggybacked on a little bit of research that's been done by Kill Monk, who was on this um, podcast too. Friend of the podcast. Engagements. And, mm-hmm. you know, in the process of planning their wedding, Andy kept putting deposits on different things and pro- proposing things to her that they could do for their wedding, wide variety of different types of weddings. And she just shot them all down. And she shot them down, not because they weren't good choices, but because she didn't actually want to get married. And one of the things that um, we found in that study was that people tended to, the wedding was a reason to visualize themselves together as married. And sometimes that was really not comfortable. So people would say things like, I went to, to a fitting and put my dress on and I just thought, nope, you know, I don't. I don't want to be walking down an aisle in this thing. Or um, what was the other one that someone said? The we- Trying on the wedding dress was one. Oh, and picking out music, right? So like I'm picking out music and I can't pick one because the truth is I don't want to be doing it. 
I don't, I don't think this is a good idea. So they did a good job representing how sometimes your reticence about a relationship can come out in other ways that we have to try to attend to so that you can actually make the choice to not follow through somehow. So I was glad they at least didn't get married. Yeah, that, I mean, if there's any plus out of that relationship, that would be it. That it ended. Yeah, we'll go with that. They are a great example of a relationship that should should have ended. Should never have started, but. Yeah, that's beside the point. I don't, I, I, I just don't. I was not a fan that that was like a storyline. And I actually, I, Andy was one of the what characters that I kind of liked. And I really didn't like that that was happening and that he was like a part of it. And, yeah. Uh, I didn't treat him very well. No. There's a couple of those relationships with Jan and Angela. And um, I feel like there was another one where someone was very mistreated throughout the whole time. I can't remember. but Kelly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kelly. Yeah, if someone's treating you like that, you should leave. Yeah, that's a really good indication. So if you are Kelly, Michael, or Andy, you should go. Just okay, okay to go. Done. Bye. Yeah. Any um, any other couples that you feel like is we're um, kind of getting to that point? So, is there any other couples that you really wanted to make sure we talked about, like in more I don't detail? Think so, but I I realized that. Probably if I was listening to this podcast, I would be curious about the general wisdom of dating someone in your office. Oh, there that's a great so point. much yeah. in your office dating. So much. Is it a good idea? Maybe we can talk about pros and cons. I don't yeah, know um, any of this up, but we can talk about it. Say again. I don't have any research to back this up, but we could talk uh, about neither it. Neither do I. And I think we'll both be biased because we both met partners in a work setting. Oh, so, you did too? Yeah. Grad school. So why do you have any thoughts off the top of your head? Um, I asked this question. You would think I had some thoughts off the top of my head. <laughs> I definitely think it's tricky it depends on what your relational goals are. So I definitely think it is fraught to hook up with or casually date people you work with because those are almost inevitably not going to continue in the long term. And then you've got to work with them in the aftermath, whatever that is. And maybe that's neutral or maybe it's awkward but that's not going to help your general work environment. If you're genuinely seeking a committed relationship and you think you've identified someone you work with who could do that, and it's not against your HR policy, which as grad students, I don't think we had any, I don't think that was a thing (laughs) that you and I were in the clear on that. But maybe if you're sure that's what you're both doing, maybe it can be okay. Yeah, I I was even thinking it could be the opposite, like not necessarily saying it definitely is the opposite, but it even could be just in terms of like, if it's casual, maybe it's easier to kind of like set things aside and work. I mean, after initial weirdness probably happens, but if it's really involved and you're working with them for a long time and like, you know, for me in grad school, like if things had gone really south with my wife, like it would have been a terrible couple of years, but we could have, we were going in different directions after the end, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, but, many years. It would have been. It would have been six years for me. Ouch. I started yeah, that dating a lot. my husband two years in. Mm-hmm. We would have been there together for six years. Yeah. That's a long time. That is a long time. So that would have been like cause I I could see that if it like you date for a year or less like maybe six months even and it's the investment is getting kind of higher emotional kind of like feelings and then it goes south that could be really difficult for working too so i don't know if i have advice on it because it seems like it could be it could be potentially messy let's just say this the amount of dating in the office is probably unrealistic for what is wise yes on the show for sure it's fine there's definitely some pitfalls i think to doing that my parents actually also met at work, so I don't know. We're bringing in all these real life examples of it happening and going well, but 
Uh, there's certainly times where it doesn't, and there's lot, there's lots of um, uh, fallout if that is the case. The risk is high. I agree. I also don't know anyone where that happened to. I'm sure I, I do if I really thought about it. Who lived in the same apartment complex as me? Mm-hmm. It was not great. Yeah, I could see that being difficult. Different building that helped. Yeah, there you go. Not ideal. No, yeah, that's hard. Uh, how I met your mother? Yeah. How I met your mother did an entire episode about this, about like whether it's a good idea to date someone that you see all the time. The uh, consensus was don't, but people do it anyway. So I think that's pretty much the advice we've just given. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a bad idea, but you're probably going to do it anyway. The only closest real life example I could think of is my third grade girlfriend. It did not go well, and and I could greatly see that uh, affecting academic performance. So. <laughs> Grades just plummeted in the third grade. Right? There's something about the third grade. And at the same time, we were going through uh, double-digit multiplication and all that stuff. All right, fractions? Man, fractions. I tell you. Dang. <laughs> Must have felt like you had a quarter of your heart. Bum, 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 bum. Bum. <laughs> Goodness. I will say that um, I think in listening to you all talk about the the, uh, the office the show, like I've started to to build like a new relationship to the show without even seeing the show, and so like I've been having like a lot of internal dialogue going on, and honestly, it's felt like I don't know in some like alternate universe. Like the three of us are roommates or something, and you two work together. And it's honestly felt like you've come home and like you just vented about your coworkers. And I'm sitting here like, oh, really? You mean Dwight did that? <laughs> or no, she didn't. <laughs> oh, so we like her, but we don't like him. So that's what we're doing today. And I, I've had all this internal dialogue going on. So it's, it's been really fun and interesting inside of my head. Well, well I'm glad you enjoyed it. Show now because it's going to ruin that yeah. whole thing for you. Right? I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you do come to know when you when you have that much of a show that you can watch, you do build sort of a relationship with the characters. And definitely, um, I cannot watch that episode of Paper Airplanes without crying when Jim and Pam like make it work. I can't do it, and I've seen it many times now. Um, I feel really invested in them, and they are not real. <laughs> And I like that they kind of like at the very end where they kind of played up like the showing the documentary and everyone was really invested in Jim and Pam. And like, that was really fun. And I also liked how people who were watching the documentary probably had similar reactions to like people watching the show, especially in terms of like the Jim stuff, how all those women were like, if Jim was my boyfriend, I would be happy right. forever and all this stuff. And it's like, Jim was like very uncomfortable with that, and Pam was very uncomfortable with that too. But it because for them, it's not about that stuff. It's not about like the glamoury kind of like big gestures or the. Um, it's not about how cute they were. It's just like that's their life. That's just like they really care about each other. And I think that was really cool to like see this idealization of the relationship played out in the show and them be able to react to that in real time, even though, again, they're not real either, but still. Yeah. I think, um, I guess I should just speak for myself. I think there's something really attractive about having a partner who loves you as much as Jim loves Pam. His affection for her is so clear and so strong and so enduring. That is what's so captivating about their relationship, I think. And it's state and it's stable in the sense of like it never goes out of control in a negative way or a positive way, right? It's never like he's like um when she was with Roy, it's not like he was doing a lot of like big gestures or like trying to confess his love and all that stuff, even though like there was a few times where like it almost came out or it did come out or whatever. It was never like this big like he was going too far and crossing boundaries. And it was never so much where he was just, like, so angry at her that he didn't have the affection. It was just kind of a stable, high level of affection and caring that maintained for a long time, even through all this stuff. And I really liked that as well. Me too. Me too. They're good times. 
and the unsung relationship that was together even longer than them. Do you know where I'm going with this? Phyllis and Bob Vance Refrigeration. Phyllis and Bob Vance. You know, they were together the whole time. I never really stopped to think about Phyllis and Bob. I don't know. You don't see them a ton, but they're this kind of like, they're just another one that's very stable through the entire show. They're like the poster children for keeping it hot over time. That's true, too. They um, joke about Bob and Phyllis. They are unapologetic about their attraction to each other, which is awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah, they were awesome. And I I don't really, what's hard is like, we don't have much to say about them. And they're like, the one couple that was like together through the whole show for the most part. They really were. They did get married after the show started though. They were together. the whole. Time. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And Cause the big joke there was that she took all of Pam's wedding planning. Like that's right. Yeah. Phyllis and Bob essentially had the wedding that Pam had planned with Roy. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, she went see. to the wedding she never had. With with him there, wasn't he there too, Roy, or no? No, I'm thinking of something else. I don't know. I, I can't Another I fun fact about, about Phyllis that I learned on The Office Ladies is that she was actually part of the casting team that reads lines with people who are auditioning. Oh, and they liked her so much that they made her a character. Her, her actual name is Phyllis. Yeah. And they told her, we want you to be on the show and we want you to play a character. But she wasn't an actress before that. She was just somebody who worked in Hollywood doing these casting calls. Isn't that fascinating? So funny. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know She's that. Pretty funny in the show. Yeah, and there's a couple of them that like use their real name because um, Creed's real name is Creed. Really? Yep. I had. And known. there's a couple. Now I have to look at IMDb. I have that pulled up just so I go through because there's a couple of them like that with some of the um, smaller characters. Well, I'm glad they played up more as time went on because I think the less Michael, the better. But you must Angela's have been really real really name is Angela. Left in the last couple seasons, you know, I I was, but that made Andy an idiot all of a sudden, and he was kind of an idiot before, but like it made him worse. So that he was really annoying as well. He was. <laughs> it was a little much. Angela was named Angela. Phyllis was Phyllis. Creed was Creed. Oscar's name is Oscar. Really? So yeah, a handful of those characters were like using their real name too, which you don't usually see. No. But yeah, a lot of a lot of rough relationships in that office. Kevin and his fiance had broken up. Oscar and Gil had broken up, and even these kind of side characters. There wasn't a lot of happy endings, but Jim and Pam and Phyllis were the uh, the big happy ending Hall. people. Oh, yeah. I don't count them. Why don't you count them? I don't know. I just don't like Michael is really what it boils down to, if I'm being honest. I thought they were really sweet together. I really liked I really liked Michael and Holly, too. I did like them as a couple as much as I could. I just thought they were kind of like, I don't know, thrown together. Like, he got way too into it way too fast. So did she. But that's who he is. That's his character. But, he is that guy. Yeah. I don't like that. So <laughs> it's just kind of what it was for me. So, yeah, they also had a happy ending. They really did. Just not not a fan. Not that. a fan. No, I just I just couldn't get past some of the things he does. I know it's like supposed to be kind of like in fun and not real, but it was just too much for me. I get you. I will say I um the office is meant for sure to be funny. And not so much to be a serious commentary on relationships. For sure. But these <laughs> these writers did a really good job in a couple of cases of, of really thoughtfully putting together partnerships that I think might have actually been fairly realistic and lasting. And I think that's yeah. super interesting. So if you are a little bit relationship nerdy, watch it again. With a new eye, because I think there's a lot to be taken away from how some of those couples manage to overcome stress and stay pretty stable with each other over time. Agreed. And I really liked a lot of the relationships they did and how they put it together. There was like some things here and there that were, again, more about the funny than they were about the relationship. But like 
for the most part, like those relation, a lot of the relationship decisions and things that happened really made sense to like what you'd expect. I thought, yeah. you know, for like Gabe and Aaron as an example of like a bad relationship that was like one you could see happening in front of you, and that's exactly kind of how you might see it play out. I, I might be forgetting some ridiculousness in there that happened, but I could see a relationship like that happening, where they like yeah. kind of younger in the office, they kind of like were into each other and. Um, and then as time went on, some of the things that he did wasn't really what she was into, but he was still into it. Anyway, yeah, I just thought that that was another example. I'm kind of like the opposite end of like Jim and Pam, where it was like a good relationship that you could see happening. This is kind of like a bad one you could see happening and like played out in a way that wasn't just for laughs. Like um, I felt like yeah. sometimes Ryan and Kelly were just kind of just for laughs. As in yes, I agree. Some yeah. other so places. a little so. bit of both. Yeah, exactly. Which is always good. If we wanted to wrap up, we always just kind of like fade out in the middle of a conversation. So I don't know if I had the two examples I had were horrible boss stories, which I don't have any, or bad breakup stories. And I was like, that one could get really personal. So maybe we shouldn't do that. But like, there could be some bad, bad breakups we heard about. But we could just rewind back to the conversation of, uh, of my third grade relationship. <laughs> That's true, too. She got me in so much trouble for things I didn't do. (laughs) That seems really toxic, Denzel. See, that's really wise that you broke up with her. Yeah. Way to have good skills young young in your life, early in your life. I tried. It was hard. It was hard. I tell you, it was hard. But I think I made the right decision. Yeah, B9's tough, man. Thanks to you for listening today. If you want to become a part of Relevation Nation and get daily information about romantic relationships, or just want to learn more about Relevate, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash myrelevate, follow us on Twitter at myrelevate, or on Instagram at instagram.com slash myrelevate. Special thanks to our producer and the composer of our opening music, Denzel Jones. See you next time.